Uh, my name is Joey Kraft. I serve as one of the pastors here, and it is my joy and privilege to preach God's word to us this morning. We're starting a new sermon series of the next couple of months out of the book of Proverbs. So you will do well to have Proverbs open in front of you. Proverbs chapter one is what will be this morning. No idea what page of the Bible that is on the seat in front of you. Somebody can yell that out if you get it. Page 527, you will find Proverbs. You will want that open in your lap. Let me pray. God, tend to the preaching of your word that we might get wisdom. Amen. I begin with a quote. Our world has more and more information, but less and less wisdom. More data, less clarity. More stimulation, less synthesis. More distraction, less stillness. More opinions, less research. More speaking, less listening. More to look at, less to see. Sound bites, diversions, and distractions are abundant, but wisdom is scarce. The author goes on and asks, how can we flourish in a world like this? Well, over the next couple of months, that's what we will consider. How can we flourish in a world like this? How can we live in a way that shows truth is beautiful, right, and attractive? Here's the thing. Everywhere we turn, we have voices telling us what to do. Everywhere we turn, the world is telling us what to value, what to believe, and where to find happiness. And here's the thing. Most people are lying to you. They might be sincere. They may not know that they're lying, but they might be sincerely wrong, leading us not to wisdom, but to foolishness. And here's the thing. We even lie to ourselves. We lie to justify our whims and our wishes to get what we want to justify our own desires because we think that's what will make us happy. And here's the thing. Too often we realize that giving full expression to our feelings satisfies as much as cotton candy. It soon dissolves, leaving us with a chronic, anxious hunger that still needs to be quenched and brought with soul-contenting joy. How can we flourish in a world like this? The book of Proverbs begins to answer that question. And Lord willing, for the next nine weeks, we'll study Proverbs that we might gain wisdom, understand what it is, and begin to apply it to our lives. Because here's the thing. We need wisdom not just to make these massive life decisions. We need wisdom in the moment-by-moment routine experiences. Ordinary relationships, mundane rhythms, where there is no hard and fast, thus says the Lord. And Proverbs guides us on this path of a long, complicated life. And so this week and next week, we'll set the foundation of wisdom. And then for seven weeks, we'll look at wisdom that applies to decision-making. Sex, money, correction, anger, friendship, and justice. That's where we're headed. 
And here's the reality. When some of you here were going to study the book of Proverbs, you might have one of these reactions. Some of you might be thinking, this is great. I love the book of Proverbs. It is so practical, and I need to enhance my life just a little bit. This is going to be great. Others of you are thinking, really? Too much in Proverbs? That book is confusing. It tries to be poetic. I don't even like poetry. I'm going to be bored for two months. Others of you are like, what is a proverb, and is that a book in the Bible, really? So no matter where you are, no matter what your experience is with this book, I hope that you'll see Proverbs is more than pithy, practical tips to enhance your life a little bit. I hope that you will see that Proverbs isn't a random collection of flowery sayings. Ultimately, Proverbs helps us see and savor Jesus beholding his beauty, that we might become like him in all wisdom and truth. And I say this not just because Restoration Church likes to talk about Jesus. We love Jesus. He's our hope. He is our joy. But I am not trying to force him into this introductory sermon on Proverbs. Jesus is in the book of Proverbs from the very first verse. Look at it. Proverbs begins this way. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Right from the beginning of Proverbs, wisdom is connected with the king and the son of David. And we know that God has promised a son of David who would be forever king of God's people. And that king will establish God's eternal kingdom through wisdom. 2 Samuel 7, Isaiah 11. So we see there is a need for a wise king who rules over a wise kingdom. And as we saw in our study of kings, Israel had many kings. One of the greatest mentioned here, Solomon. And we know from our study of kings that Solomon fails. And so do all the other kings. And here's the thing. As goes the king, so goes the people. The kings were foolish, and the people were foolish, and foolishness leads to death and destruction. So here's what we need. We need a loving and wise king who will rule over us, leading us in all that is wise, that we might have life. And Jesus of Nazareth shows up in what is one of the first things we're taught about him. He is the son of who? The son of who? David. And as we read, Jesus claims that I am greater than Solomon with all wisdom. And throughout his life, we see Jesus dazzling his listeners with wisdom. But wisdom isn't just what Jesus speaks, it's who he is. We read that in 1 Corinthians. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Colossians 2, in him, in Jesus, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. Jesus is the promised king, the son of David, who fulfills the wisdom of Proverbs. And here's the thing. As goes the king, so goes the people. So Proverbs is displaying for us a picture of King Jesus teaching us that we might live as kingdom citizens, that we might flourish in all of life. That's what Proverbs is doing. 
And today we begin our journey by looking at these opening seven verses. And I will ask and attempt to answer four questions. What is wisdom? Who needs it? Why do we need it? How do we get it? Let's read Proverbs 1, 1 to 7, then we'll answer our question. Hear the word of God, beloved. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. What is wisdom? Well, right from the beginning of the book there in verse 2, we see the purpose of Proverbs is to know wisdom. Uh, and that word know has the idea of factual understanding, but it's deeper. The same word know is used to say Adam knew his wife or God knows his people. It's not just intellect, but intimacy and experience. And so the idea is that wisdom is joyful to the soul, something we embrace and enjoy, not once, but again and again and again. We don't know wisdom theoretically like we know honey is sweet by looking at the jar. We know wisdom experientially like we know the taste of honey on the tongue. It's satisfying. And we see other terms here, instruction, insight, prudence, knowledge, discretion. But like many sides of one diamond, all these terms help us grasp the multifaceted beauty of biblical wisdom. So wisdom is in part instruction and knowledge. Uh, the idea here is that wisdom involves being taught, trained, discipled, corrected by others. That there is a, a knowledge component and an increasing of intellect when it comes to wisdom. And wisdom is in part insight and discretion. Now, this is the ability to, to notice distinctions, nuances, shades of difference. Insight and discretion allow us to look at a situation, recognize and evaluating. There's not often not just right and wrong, but there's good, there's better, and there's best. And wisdom is in part prudence. This is foresight, thinking before we act. The ability to plan and live strategically. To have a vision of life and try to live according to that vision. Wisdom in part all these things. And so we see that wisdom requires knowledge, but it cannot be reduced to a comprehension of facts. Wisdom is not equated to degrees and diplomas. You can have a lot of uh, intellect and still be ignorant. Proverbs would tell us you can be sophisticated and still be stupid. Even having vast amounts of correct theological knowledge does not mean you are wise. Knowledge alone puffs up. Wisdom isn't just knowing the right things, but living the right way. You see that in verse 3. What's one of the aims? In wise dealing. 
Some of your translations might say in wise or prudent behavior. Wisdom is not wisdom informs not just what we know, but how we live. Wisdom is the skill and the art of applying knowledge. But it's not just applying knowledge for personal success. It's not just discerning how we can make the most money or live a more comfortable life. Notice the goal in verse 3. What's the motivation? The end. In righteousness, justice, and equity. Or as some of your translations might say, integrity. These are moral theological terms. Uh, the idea is not so much social order as it is much the shape of our character. So wisdom leads us to do that which is right, good, fair, and honest in God's eyes. So wisdom is assessed according to God's standards, not the world's expectation. Do you see that wisdom has to do with the content of your beliefs and the character with which you behave? And the goal is godliness. Godly living. We could say it this way. The goal of wisdom is to bring us into the fullness of life. That's what godliness is. So when I say life, I don't just have the narrow sense of mere physical existence, breathing. I'm speaking of a broader sense. Living in God's world according to God's ways that we might thrive in relationship with him vertically and each other horizontally. This is what we see in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 35. For whoever finds me, finds wisdom, finds life, and obtains favor from the Lord. Find wisdom, find life. So here's a a short answer to our first question. What is wisdom? This is the definition we'll use throughout our series. Wisdom is joyfully applying God's truth for life. Wisdom is joyfully applying God's truth for life that we might flourish in every aspect of our lives. See, wisdom asks, not just can I, but should I? Wisdom doesn't just look at what is permissible, but it pursues that which is profitable for our souls for our relationship with God and each other. Wisdom isn't just about functioning in this world as it is. Wisdom is about flourishing in the world as God means it to be. And here's the thing. Much of what the Bible says is wise will be considered foolish by the world. You need to know that, beloved. Remember in our last sermon series, we talked about the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says what? My kingdom is not of this world. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. And Proverbs is teaching us to be wise kingdom citizens. And if that's the case, then we're living for a different world. We're living for a different kingdom. And if so, much of what we say wise won't make sense to a world bent on folly. For whatever reason, this this week when I was thinking about this, the thing that kept coming to mind was Bob Ross. You know who Bob Ross is? If you don't, you're like, what's the connection here? So Bob Ross was an artist on TV, public broadcasting station, and he would go in this, this show called The Joy of Painting. I remember watching when I was a little boy at my grandmother's house. And Bob Ross, right, all you'd have is like this black backdrop, 
and he would set a blank canvas up on an easel. And he would start to paint. He put like a blue blob in the sky somewhere, a black block down at the bottom, some shades of different green. And then he'd get the small brush and do these like little squiggles in apparently random places. And you're sitting there the whole day like, is this guy, a, is he really an artist? Because what I'm seeing right makes no sense whatsoever. It looks like a child could have taken some paint and put it on there and it just doesn't make any sense. But then by the time it was done and you stepped back, you had this beautiful painting that made sense of every block of color, every stroke of the brush, and it became this beautiful, cohesive whole. So it is with wisdom. We can only evaluate its beauty in light of the whole picture of who God is and what he promises. The perspective of wisdom is not days but decades. We evaluate wisdom not based on the here and now, but heaven and forever. And because of that, so much of what we call wisdom will be called foolish by the world. And here's what that means, beloved. You have to know this. We will never be fully accepted by the world and live according to God's wisdom. And that presents a challenge for us. We all face pressures, external pressures, a growing list of cultural causes, and an ever-expanding acronym demands our affirmation. Society pressures us to celebrate what God condemns. What is created and fixed by God, the world says is fluid and determined by us. In so many ways, The world's ways and God's wisdom are opposed. Add to that the pressures of so many good things. Vacations, kids' sports schedules, promotions, dating relationships that compete for our allegiance and our affection. Add to that the pressures of this tribal information age. There's a demand for quick answers, yet little room for slow reflection. We're tempted to turn to Google more often than God. Cancel culture has overtaken critical thinking. The expectation is to be coddled and not challenged. Hot takes seem to be valued more than humble discussion. We click, post, reply, scroll, and skim, becoming more distracted and perhaps less and less discerning. A wealth of information, yet little wisdom to actually process. As one author says of this age, We used to be like scuba divers exploring the depths of the sea, but now we're like a jet ski rider skimming along the surface. But it's not just pressures around us. We have our own pressures and temptations inside of us. We have pressures. We're tempted to act in foolish ways. To give full vent to our anger, explode at our spouse, harsh with our children, gossip about our boss, slander another church member, harbor bitterness, pursue autonomy. So don't believe the problem is just out there. No, the problem is also in here. And this is why we need the book of Proverbs to keep calling us back to the ancient path of wisdom that we might joyfully apply God's word, God's truth for life. And when I say we, I mean we. 
All of us. Who needs wisdom? All of us. The command of Proverbs is get wisdom. Get it. In these opening verses, we see a few characters. Verse 4, we see those who are labeled the simple. We also see the youth. In verse 5, we see another group called the wise. And then in verse 7, we see the fools. And all of us fit into one of these categories. And if we're honest, depending on the day and based on the circumstance, we might flip between one or the other. So who are these characters? They're throughout Proverbs. Who are they? The simple. Who are the simple? Oh, throughout Proverbs, the simple are those who, who are aimless. They're easily led astray. They live more by comfort and convenience than out of conviction. They're uncommitted. Drifting into sin. The simple are immature and they don't know it. So when Proverbs calls a person simple, it's not a commendation but a reason for concern. And so perhaps a good question for you, for us to ask this week is, where would Proverbs define me as simple? Where's my life marked more by comfort and convenience than conviction? Are there areas of immaturity in my life? Where am I flirting with sin? Does my life give evidence of being committed to Christ and his church? Or am I easily led away by other things? Who are the youth? Are the youth are inexperienced. They are those that are gaining more responsibilities and facing more temptations, but they've not yet acquired the wisdom to navigate the complexities of life. See, the youth are never, they're neither wise and they're not foolish. Like that sapling oak, the youth are still bendable. What they grow into is yet to be seen. Will they grow up and be straight and strong? Or will they be crooked and weak? And so for the actual youth, those still living under your parents' home, Proverbs is speaking to you. God put a book in the Bible because he loves you and wants to give you wisdom. And so here's the question for you youth. Will you seek wisdom? Will you ask your parents, the youth group leaders, for advice? Life is hard. It is complex. As you navigate tricky relationships, as you're confronted with new temptations, will you ask for help? When you give in to sin, when you rebel, will you go to your parents, to other godly mentors, and ask for advice on how to grow in godliness? Parents, it's a good reminder for us that we need to be intentionally imparting wisdom to our children. Much of the book of Proverbs is written as a father and at times a mother addressing a son. And the call for us is to be actively training our children in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. So Proverbs speaks to the simple, the youth, the wise. Who are the wise? Well, if we use our definition, the wise would be those whose lives are marked, not perfect, but marked by a joyful application of God's truth. So like a baker sifting flour to remove impurities, that they might have consistency in the cake, the wise filter their thoughts, emotions, feelings, words, and actions through God's word. They might consistently center 
their life on God. And notice something else about the wise. Look there at verse 5. Let the wise hear and what? Let the wise hear and what? Increase in learning. Do you see what that means? No matter how wise you are, there is still room to grow. Wisdom is not a final destination as much as it is a path of flourishing. And the wise recognize this. In in 15 years of pastoring, some of the most immature people I've met are those that think they're the most wise, think they've arrived. But the wise say, listen, I have not arrived. God's grace has been great in my life, but I still have a lot of room to grow. The, The wise are constantly curious and beautifully humble, always lurking to learn and grow in godliness, always looking to grow in their love of Christ. They understand the gospel is not something we move on from, but we give our lives to and flourish inside of it. See, the wise take the apostle Paul's words seriously. Whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. They don't think that's just a nice verse for a coffee mug. No, they think like, how can I eat and drink to the glory of God, applying his word to all of life? And I praise the Lord that in his kindness, many of you are wise. You're pursuing wisdom. None of us have arrived. But there are so many of you that seek to please the Lord, spending your life for the glory of God, aiming to learn and grow in godliness. And I praise God for that. I praise God for that. May we learn to grow in godliness all the more, increasing in our wisdom. Because the opposite of that is a fool. Look there at the end of verse 7. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now look back up at verse 2. What's the aim of Proverbs? To know wisdom and instruction. Fools despise the very thing God is trying to impart. They reject God and his word. See, we think when you're called a fool, it's like this little insult. But in the book of Proverbs, it's actually an indictment. An indictment of your soul before God. Fools center their lives on something other than God. They give in to their own passions. And this is why we need wisdom. Why do we need wisdom? Because left to ourselves, we are fools. We don't like to think about that. But consider how foolish we can be. Think about all the times you've given full vent to your anger. Think about all the times you've intentionally pursued sexual immorality, virtually or physically. Think about all the foes things you've kept hidden from your parents. Think of all the hurtful words you've said to a friend. Think of all those times you spoke too quickly to your children and couldn't get your words back. Think of all those times you had the opportunity to speak of your faith in Christ, but you were overcome by fear. Think about that email you fired off harshly condemning your co-work in an act of revenge. Think about that social media post filled with prideful boasting. Think about that social media post that was spiteful and slandering. Think about all those times you've scrolled social media with jealous envy piling up in your heart. Think about how you've deceived a fellow community group member by giving a partial confession of sin, trying to look humble but actually being deceitful. Think about those times you were paralyzed by anxiety and worry. Think about all that time you spent consuming social media or playing video games 
and didn't finish your schoolwork or job assignment. Think about that time you drank too much. Think about the times you ignored your spouse or your kids. Think about the time you ignored your parents. Think about the times you were stingy with your money. Think about the times you gave in to peer pressure doing something you know you shouldn't do. Think about the times you were frivolous with your money, racking up credit card debt to buy things you didn't need with money you didn't have. Think about the time you betrayed someone's privacy by promising confidentiality and then gossiping, sharing that with another person. Think about the times you were self-righteously judging that person in your heart. Think about those times you argued your point even though you knew you were in the wrong. Think about those times you defended yourself instead of admitting your sin. Think about those times you doubted God simply because he didn't give you what you wanted when you wanted it. Think about how you give in to that sin again and again despite the promises and pledges to never do it again. Do I need to go on? What does this tell us? That left to ourselves, we're foolish. Even when we know the right thing to do, we often don't do it. That's how foolish we are. For my non-Christian friend, I wonder if that surprises you that I'm talking about our, the Christian's, foolishness. Maybe you think that we think we're better, we got it all figured out, we're the wise ones, listen to us. I think we have wisdom, but I think we're also often given into foolishness. Two Christians are. We know we're foolish. And so, for my non-Christian friend, let me invite you in. You don't have to pretend to be better than you are. You don't have to try hard to earn God's favor. No, we come, foolishness and all, and we come to Christ. If you want to know more about that, if you want to think more about that, ask the person that came with you, come talk to me. So we're left. Okay, why do we need wisdom? We're, we're fools. Well, then how do we get it? How do we get wisdom that overcomes our folly? Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Or as it says later in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. That phrase or something very close related to it is found in the book of Proverbs over 20 times. It begins the book here in chapter 1, verse 7. It's also the way it ends in Proverbs 30, verse 30, uh, chapter 31, verse 30. And it's the fear of the Lord. That's the covenant name of the Lord. The covenant name of the Lord is found over 85 times in the book of Proverbs. It's almost three times a chapter. It's sent, true wisdom is centered on and revolves around the Lord. That's what's behind that phrase, fear of the Lord. It doesn't say afraid. No, when we're afraid, we, we draw away from something. And it doesn't simply say awe. We can and should be in awe of the Lord. But we can be in awe of something. We can, we can awe might make us wonder at God's power, but it doesn't draw us near to God as a person. And so Scripture gives us all kinds of reasons to fear the Lord. 
because of his greatness, because of his wisdom, because of his holiness. And these make sense to us. But you know why else Scripture says to fear the Lord? Because of his forgiveness. Psalm 130, verse 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there's forgiveness. Why? That you may be feared. And building on that, we're to fear the Lord because of his goodness. We read about this. This is a promise of the new covenant, Jeremiah 33. I will cleanse them from all guilt and their sin against me. I will forgive all their guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide. We are to fear the Lord because of how much goodness he gives to his people. Do you see that the fear of the Lord isn't just about awe and reverence, but affection and relationship with God. This fear that Bible talks about warms us to the Lord. As I considered the fear of the Lord this week, I, I remembered that scene that you may be familiar with from the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Right, so the children hear about Aslan, the ruler of Narnia, and they assume he's a man. But they find out, no, he's actually a lion. And Susan, one of the children, asks, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Mr. Beaver responds, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just plain silly. Then Lucy, the youngest, chimes in. Then he isn't safe? Mr. Beaver, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. The Lord isn't safe. But he's always good. But in our folly, we don't believe that. We might believe that he isn't safe, but we don't believe he's actually good. All of us at one time or another doubt God's word, disobey his rules. We pursue our disordered loves. See, here's the thing. Foolishness is like a disease. And one of the symptoms is that we believe we're okay. That's what foolishness is. And remember, the Lord isn't safe. Our folly is repulsive to the one who is all wise. Our sin separates us from the one who's completely holy. So as you read Proverbs... You see that wisdom leads to life, but folly leads to death and destruction. Spiritual death, cut off from God. Social death, destroyed relationships, broken societies. And all this culminates in eternal death, hell. Eternal separation, being cut off from God and all that is good. Rebellion against God brings ruin into our lives. And left to ourselves, the consequences are ours. We're we're condemned. We're indicted before God. And the Lord isn't safe. You cannot just waltz into his presence and think you can hang out with him. But he is good. And in his infinite wisdom, the Lord planned a way to bring back his foolish people while upholding righteousness and justice. 
God came near to us in the person of Christ. God in the flesh, wisdom incarnate. As a true man, Jesus grew in wisdom, joyfully applying God's word to all of life. Not one hint of foolishness or folly. And yet the wisest man who ever lived was despised and hung on a cross. Foolishness leads to death. And Jesus died the death we fools deserve. At the cross, Jesus was rejected and killed, but he did not stay dead. He rose, and as he rose, it was we fools who were redeemed by the Son and reconciled back to Father. This is the goodness and the wisdom of God. This is where wisdom begins. How do we get worship? How do we get wisdom? Fearing the Lord. True wisdom begins with right worship. True wisdom begins not by trying hard, but by repenting where we have failed. Wisdom is not found in what we do, but who we worship. That's what where wisdom is found. If you want to be wise, you don't need a certain technique. You need the right treasure. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. And remember, as goes the king, what? So goes the people. As we worship him, we become like him. Proverbs is like that smelling salt to to wake us up. It's a smelling salt to our soul, aiming to wake us up from the fog of our folly that we might behold the beauty of Jesus, fearing him, delighting him, and being changed by the power of the Spirit into his likeness. So the wisest thing all of us can do this morning is admit our folly and fear the Lord Jesus. That is wisdom. And he's so wise, nothing you've done surprises him. And he's so good that the foolishness, the simple things you've done, or the, the, the foul, foolish things that have been done to you, he welcomes you. He takes pleasure in you. He takes pleasure in those who fear him. That's Psalm 147, verse 11. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him. He takes pleasure in you, beloved. Don't believe the foolish lie that you've sinned too much. Your sinful folly is swallowed up by gospel wisdom. Don't believe the foolish lie that you have to clean yourself up before you come to God. He accepts you as you are. And in his wisdom and goodness, he does not leave you there. He doesn't leave us there. When we come to the Lord, fearing him, asking for wisdom, guess what? He gives it to us. Proverbs 2, 6. The Lord gives wisdom. Wisdom. We studied James last year. If you don't have wisdom, what do you do? Ask for it. And he gives it. That's how we get wisdom. We fear the Lord and we ask him. And through his spirit, he changes us degree by degree that we might joyfully apply God's word to all of life. That's how we flourish. It's how we flourish. Again, non-Christian friends, I... I invite you to come to us and let us answer your questions. Why do we think Jesus is the wisest person and and following him is the wisest path of life? If you want to know more about that, come talk to me. Will you you connect with somebody in our church? We invite your questions. We may not be able to answer all of them because we're not all wise, but we'll help figure out the answers that you might come to Christ who is the wisest. And for my brothers and sisters, let me remind us that fearing the Lord is not just an individual practice, but it's a communal process. We'll talk about this a lot in the coming weeks, but for now, let me just highlight this. Proverbs repeatedly warns against the prideful foolishness 
of living in isolation. 11.14, where there is no guidance, a people fails, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. 12.15, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. 18.1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. 26.12, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for him more hope for a fool than for him. There are others. Individualism is dangerous. Left to ourselves, we can only grow so much. None of us have the nuanced answers to life's complexities. We can't all be experts in everything. In gospel community, a group of people committed to one another, a membership in a local church where we're known and loved is one of the primary ways to get wisdom. Yes, church community is challenging. It's messy. It's awkward. It's inefficient. But that doesn't mean we don't need it. If you want to get wisdom, you need gospel community. One of the primary ways the Lord answers our asking for wisdom is by putting it in the words of a brother or sister as we study God's word together. It's one of the primary ways he gives us wisdom. Personal insight is the product of community. Wisdom admits, I need others. Like all the Christian life, wisdom looks up to God first and out to others. It's not centered on self. My desires, my thoughts, wisdom is upward and outward, not first inward. Beloved, the local church, our church family, is the place we come together. We delight in Christ together. We learn from each other. We wrestle with God's word together. We teach and instruct one another that we might have wisdom. And so now we have a partial answer. How do we flourish in a world like this? We admit that we're foolish. We delight in the fear of our Lord. We ask him to give us wisdom. And we encourage and equip each other to joyfully apply God's word for life. How we flourish as we pursue wisdom together, realizing ultimately wisdom isn't a thing or a set of ideas. Wisdom is a person, Jesus Christ. Beloved, together we behold the glory of Christ, that we might become like him, living a life full of wisdom, truth, and beauty. And soon enough, soon enough, we will see him face to face. And we will be completely transformed to his likeness, living forevermore as wise kingdom citizens on an eternal kingdom, heaven on earth. That's where we're headed. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the beauty of Christ. Thank you that you have given us your word, that we might pursue wisdom, that we might look to your word and sift our lives through it, that we might be centered upon your goodness. Give us courage and boldness, humility, winsomeness, when what we say is wise is so often considered foolish. Give us, by the power of your spirit, to be able to bring wisdom to the own lies we're tempted to believe in our own heart, our own foolishness. Put brothers and sisters around us to speak wise, humble gospel words to us 
that we might live in light of our Savior, that we might show the beautiful attractiveness of wisdom because it displays our Lord Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.